What a faithful God you are. We say thank you. We say thank you. Oh, I'm not losing hope. Cause I know that my God is faithful. Do you know that your God is faithful? Shine. 
all your heart tonight, just sing that. Oh, my heart. there you guys yeah a little okay okay cool does that thing fit in there technical difficulties well hey welcome to metanoia community church olivehurst um glad you guys are here today um if this is your first time we have um uh, welcome cards that you could fill out. Um, also, if you want to text welcome to 530-290-8488, you'll hear me say that a lot if you're here uh, more than once. But um, it's just a way for us to stay connected with you all. Um, if you have children, children's check-in is over at the house, and I believe uh, that all got taken care of already. I don't see any other kids here. Jason, you're in youth group now, so you get to hang out here. Um Speaking of that, we do have youth group on Thursday nights. If you have any, know any children in your family that are uh, 6th grade to 12th, you'll end up finding Nerf darts, you know, around the church. <laughs> um, and so it's just a great time for students to have fun and learn about the word. You go. Also, uh, let's see here. So we have a night of harvest uh, October 31st, um, we have a sign-up and back. If you want to have your car do trunk or treat, um, it's really an awesome time just to decorate your car in all sorts of fun ways. Um, if you don't sign up to bring a car, please come and invite friends and family. Um, we'll have food, a bunch of stuff for the kids, live worship music, and a message, um, an encouraging message that evening. It's just a great time to get together and celebrate the Lord on an evening that usually isn't celebrated about Jesus. So, um, also, uh, 242, um, it's our, for lack of better words, it's a, our potluck that we do. <laughs> um, and we do that every, uh, what week is it? Third, every third Sunday. So that's coming up here and, yep, next weekend, and it's casseroles, right? So if you have a favorite family casserole that everyone needs to love, make it and bring it. We're not, no judging. 
But yeah, what Gina said, um, if you don't bring anything, please stay and eat anyways. We always have enough food. It's just a great time to hang out and fellowship. Uh, we have, um, I think that's it. Yeah. If you want to take off, if you want to take offering, if you want to take communion during worship, we do have communion elements in the back. Um, that's always available. And uh, if you want to check us out online, it's olivehurst.church. And with that, Gina, do you want to pray and open us up for worship? Okay, cool. Jacob, for all that you do back there, you're phenomenal. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. And like we prayed this morning, Lord, I pray that our Sundays would become our most exciting day of the week, that we would look forward to coming together to praise you, to worship you, to study your gospel, to just be that iron that sharpens iron for each other. Uh, Lord, that's why you created the church, was that we would have a place as believers to come and and um, be loved and love on others and uh, and to be edified through your word and through celebrating who you are. Yes, we get to celebrate you every day of our lives, and we should be, but God, I pray that Sundays would be our exciting day to come together as the congregation and just worship you and praise you. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a safe place to meet, that we don't have to hide underground or um, or be fearful to pray out loud, Lord, like we have freedom here to worship you, and we're so grateful for that. So today we just celebrate you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
He's in the way 
Promise to me that I will rise in your bed. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You who hold the stars, you who call them each by name, you hold every promise true, Lord. You've never broken a promise yet. Who you are, 
Lord, we do, we ask that you would continue to put your hedge of protection upon our families and our children and their children. as we continue to study your word together and worship you through the study of your word. Lord, I pray that you that what you have for us today wouldn't just come and go, Lord, but that it would stick with us. We would hear what you have for us today, Lord. I know, God, that no matter what our country's going through or what our States going through, Lord, that you are on the throne. You're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and there's nobody in office that you don't know about first. And Lord, I just ask that as we continue to focus on you, no matter what's going on in our world, Lord, and you need to be our focus, God. just uh, cast all anxiety unto you, cast, cast all frustration to you, Lord. There seems to be a rowling up of uh, relationships, and God, I just pray hedge protection over relationships, Lord. You just have your way with us today, Lord. Refresh and refuel us so that when we walk out of this place, Lord, we are bubbling over with your spirit upon others and our own families. Thank you for Brian, and uh, I ask that you just cover him. Hide him behind your veil, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us. And uh, I just praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And take a minute and say good morning to your brother and sisters and grab a cup of coffee and good morning Miss Patty and uh, service will service will begin in just a few short minutes guys amen
It's good to hear people talking together. Well, welcome, you guys. Um, man, it's always good to refocus. Worship music helps. Refocusing on the Lord. I'm going to... Believe it or not, that makes a difference. Um, anyhow, uh, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 24, verse 1 through 27, and um, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for your word that it never turns back void. Lord, that all of us need to hear from you every day, every moment, sometimes every minute. Um, Lord, that thank you that you hold our lives in your hands that you uh, know how to take care of us. Help, us. help us to trust you, Lord, in areas of our life that are difficult. Thank you that uh, um, you're faithful and you're loving and you're kind. And thank you, Lord, that um, one day we'll see you face to face, Lord. And uh, thank you that the cares of this world... Um, They'll fade away. And so just help us, Lord, as we live here still. You know, we're in our daily lives with <clears throat> trials and difficulties, and some days are good and some days aren't. Just ask, Lord, you'd help us to lean on you and focus on you and trust you, Lord. And um, I thank you that there's a work that you do inside of us, Father, that you're not just some um, get help quick guru kind of process, Lord. You're not bound by man's intelligence. You're beyond our thoughts. You're beyond our own intentions. You know how to work within us, Lord. A lot of times, God, we want to get things done in our own strength, and Lord, we need you to strengthen us. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you for your love for us, for your plan for our lives, God, that it's good. I thank you that you are love, that you are truth. I thank you that you're alive and that you bring life to us. Praise you for that, God. Just lift up the children's ministry today, Lord, that you'd have your hand upon the teachers. And I also lift up the other churches today too, Lord. God, that you would strengthen the leaders and the pastors. And Lord, that um, God, that you just do work through your church and in the communities that we live in, Lord. Uh, just lift up the schools to you. And all of those teachers, Lord, and that are, that are there, you'd be with them, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity you gave us to serve them and continue to serve them in this community. And we just praise you, Lord. I pray that none of us would leave this place, myself included, missing out on what you have for us today, God. Just praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I forgot to mention about us um, bringing... So we, we donated 75 backpacks and a bunch of supplies to, uh, we did 25 backpacks to Oliverhurst Elementary, and we did 25 backpacks to Yuba Gardens, and we did 25 backpacks to Marysville Joint Unified School District's HOPE program. 
And if you're unfamiliar with that, their HOPE program actually serves um, homeless kids. And I found out that by the end of the school year, they have somewhere around 300 plus children that are either homeless or displaced or just their families are moving between different places and they don't have school supplies or anything. So, um, and so I just wanted to let you guys know that everything that everybody brought in, it was like overwhelmingly um, appreciated by those that we were able to give it to. And so, um, and in every backpack, we put a track um, and we had different different types of school supplies for the elementary and junior high. And there was new underwear and socks that were given to the HOPE program, um, which I didn't, you know, I wouldn't even have thought of that. And so it was just really neat. Just Elisha and I were able to deliver that stuff. And it was really neat. We were able to pray with some of the folks. And it was just a neat thing. And, um, you know, whenever we do stuff like that, um, it's important that, you know, we're not, the church can't just be a benevolence program where we just throw resources at people. We need to use those opportunities to share the truth of the love of Jesus with people. And so, you know, by faith, we just put a track in a backpack and brought it to a public school. Who knows? They may take it out. They may not. A kid may open it up and read it and and come to know the Lord through it. And, you know, that's we trust God with those things, you know. Um, we're called to just bring the gospel to people, and the Lord does the rest of the work. Um, and so he's faithful to do that. So I just wanted to give an update with that. And so we left this bin here. I know there's no note on it. So if you feel led to bring um, items for the HOPE program, we're going to continue to support the HOPE program as the Lord allows. Um, so just uh, to keep you know, those connections with them. And uh, so, yeah, it was just great. Thank you so much for everybody's support in that. It was really a neat thing. So Acts chapter 24 verse 1 through 27. So we pick back up here. Um, we're continuing through um, Paul's trial, per se. And so I'm going to read um, Acts 23, verse 34 and 35 to kind of give context of uh, what 24 and verse 1 starts in. And um, Acts 23, verse 34 and 35 will not be on the, the screen. I'm just going to read it. So if you listen, so, um, and when the governor had read it, he had read um, uh, this, uh, uh, let's see, when the governor had read this letter that was presented, I'll, I'll start in 33. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. So this is what had occurred um, in Caesarea. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So <clears throat> bring up to speed. In chapter 23, uh, Paul Paul's in Jerusalem, and um, these Jewish uh, folks from Asia started a big deal going on against him, and then the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, wanted to do away with him because um, they believed Paul was speaking um, against God's will for Gentiles to be Christians. And so there's all, there, all through Acts, you see this, this dichotomy between the Jewish, the, the, the Jewish leaders and, 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 and Christians at the time. And so the book of Acts is um, the uh, presenting of the gospel of Christi the Jesus Christ's gospel, uh, Christianity from Jews 
over to Gentiles. If you aren't Jewish, then you're a Gentile. And that's just all it is. Jewish blood, it's, it's what it's talking about, people groups. And so anybody who was not Jewish, uh, you know, customarily didn't follow, you know, the Old Testament laws and didn't follow God and they had pagan idols and all sorts of different things. And, and the Lord took this guy, Paul, and, and transformed his life from being an accuser and murderer of Christians to being this person who was presenting the truth of Christ um, to the Gentiles and to the world, really. And so the Lord used him really to plant churches all throughout Asia and different parts of the world in that era. And so when he came back to Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And there was a bunch of men that actually made a pact to um, not eat or drink anything until they killed Paul. And so um, Paul also was a Roman citizen, and so this came out during this trial in Jerusalem. And remember that in that era that the Romans were uh, the governing uh, organization over Jerusalem. They were the ones in, in governmental power at the time. Even though the, the Jews had their own rules and laws that they functioned under, the Roman rule was actually the heavy hand that, that kind of kept the peace. And so... Um, uh, per se. And so we find now that Paul was brought to trial in Jerusalem. And then the person who was uh, the governor, the person who was overseeing that area of Jerusalem found no fault in Paul, but yet he wanted to make sure that Paul literally, it said that he wasn't torn in two during this riot, during this, uh, the, the, the first trial within, underneath the Jewish guidelines of having a trial. And so now they take Paul, and they travel with him under heavy guard to, to Cilicia, I mean, to, to Caesarea, and now he's at, uh, uh, in front of Felix, and Felix is, is, is the governor of Judea, and he's a higher up rank than the other commander, um, and so we pick up now in, ver in, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 24. And it says, now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And so we know that Paul was there uh, for five days prior. So these men, it took them however long to get from Jerusalem to uh, this area. Uh, it, not, uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, Caesarea. And so... Now we see here, Paul's accusers, um, they come and, and Tertullus was like a lawyer, okay? And so he was going to speak on behalf of the high priest and the elders and the Jews that, 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 that wanted Paul to be destroyed. And the reason why they wanted Paul destroyed is they didn't want to hear, um, again, that people could come into a relationship with God um, that were Gentiles. And they also didn't really believe that Jesus, when he came, that he was the Messiah. I mean, this is the same group that, you know, cried out, crucify him, release Barabbas, if you know anything about Jesus's trial. And the same anger and, and hate towards the gospel of Jesus Christ was, was, was going on here as well towards Paul. And so Paul, knowing that God was going to take him to, uh, hire up people to be in, in, in regards to, to speaking before kings. And so really, there's kind of an underlying thing here. We see, we could look at this and we could see that Paul's life is, you know, at stake and he's on trial and we can get, woe is me, Paul's having a big problem here. But the reality is, is that the Lord is using this situation to place Paul in the governor's life, which is Felix. So verse two through four says this, and, and when he was called upon, so Tertullus was called upon, 
he began his accusation saying, seeing that through you, we enjoy great peace and prosperity as being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and all, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. So Tertullus speaks in such a way in his opening statement. He's basically, Felix, you're the best. You're amazing. You know, you're this greatest guy ever. He's just stroking his ego. And the reality is that the Jews really didn't like the Romans, and the Romans hated governing them. And so this, this whole thing that Tertullus opens up with, it, it's, it's, just, it's just stroking Felix's ego. He went way over the top in regards to an opening statement. And then Tertullus continues in verse 5. He says, For we have found this man a plague. What a great statement for somebody. A creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple. Sorry, I lost my place. He even tried to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, <coughs> Lysias, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you by examining him yourself. You may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. <clears throat> and the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. So if you go in and you read Acts 22 through 23 and you find how this thing unfolds, what this gentleman talks about was really kind of not true at all. Um, he makes it sound like uh, that Paul was this horrible person and that, that even uh, the commander had to, had to rip him violently out of their hands. And, and really, the commander did take him violently away from them because they were going to kill Paul. But, but he painted it as a picture of like this horrible situation and that the commander actually, you know, had to step in and did a big deal and, and had to take this guy from us and so this, uh, this, this Tertullus really painted a horrible picture. And so <clears throat> we see here that Paul was accused of, number one, he was a plague. Well, it means he was a pest or a nuisance. Number two, uh, that he was a creator of a revolt among, among the, all the Jews. Number three, that he was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Number four, that he tried to profane the temple. Also, we see that the other Jews that were there agreed with all of these accusations against Paul. It's fascinating here. We see Paul by himself. There's nobody advocating for him. If you look at this at face value, you're like, well, Paul's going away forever. You wouldn't think that, you know, how are you going to stand up to these accusations? And it's fascinating. We'll continue to read and we learn it's interesting how the Lord does things behind the scenes to other people sometimes, even in the midst of um, maybe a tumultuous trial that you might be in. God's always looking out for us, giving us opportunities to come to Him and to make Him the Lord of our life. And when He is the Lord of our life, He continues to protect us even when what's going on around us doesn't seem to be 
so great. And so at face value, we think maybe Paul's circumstances here are horrible, but then let's keep reading. Verse 10, then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, so the governor looks at Paul and he just kind of gives him this nod, okay, it's your turn. And he answered, inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. So Paul opens up his defense by merely acknowledging that Felix had been the judge for many years. So he wasn't trying to appeal to Felix's ego. He wasn't trying to gain Felix's, you know, love or attention or anything of that nature. So unlike Paul's accusers, Paul just says, hey, you know, you have this position, which that would have been a general thing in that time to do so in that, in that way. Such a different comparison compared to, you compare Paul's opening statement to Tertullus's, and one is just, it's, they're just totally different. Verse 11, Paul continues, says, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. So that's his first argument that Paul rebuttals what his accusers are saying. So um, his accusers were, they were accusing him of being a plague or a public nuisance. His reply though was factual. He was only there 12 days. Um, and he had, it, it, that's all that had passed since he went up to Jerusalem and, and, and that his purpose in going was to worship, not to cause a disturbance. So Paul didn't have enough time to create a big problem like what they were saying. He didn't have enough time to become this plague, quote unquote, or this nuisance, you know, that they were accusing him of. In verse 12, it says, and, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in synagogue, in, or neither in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. So next, he, he denied the charge that, that he had incited um, a Jewish, the Jews to rebel. At no time in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city had Paul disrupted um, anything with the people or tried to, to stir them up. Um, and these were the facts, and, and no one could disprove them. Verse 14 says, but this I confess to you, and Paul continues to say, he's giving his, his account to, to Felix, and, and these other Jewish leaders are there. Um, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, and whenever you see, uh, take note of this, when you see the words, the way, it means the way of following Jesus Christ. That's what it means. So he says that according to the way, which they call a sect or the sect of Nazarenes, which is what they had accused him of, being the ringleader of, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So Paul didn't deny their accusation of him being the ringleader of the Nazarites, of the Nazarenes. Nazarenes being set apart. They were, Nazarenes were a group of people that were set apart, dedicated to worshiping God with their life. Um, and so he didn't deny that. Um, but also he states here that he serves the God of the Jews, believing all things pertaining to the Old Testament. So he's, a, you know, he's making a statement, hey, you know, I, I serve the God of the Old Testament, which is what these men serve as well. 
But then we see here in verse 15, Paul referencing his belief in the resurrection of the dead and that the Jews that were Pharisees, so you had um, Pharisees and Sadducees, and I had mentioned this in the sermon uh, last week, that they had different belief systems. They had different theologies, and the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, um, and the Sadducees did not. And so you see um, him giving this, this statement um, about but that they believed also he, in, in, the, in, in the resurrection of the dead as well. And it's fascinating that he says here, the just and the unjust. The just are those that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what that means. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we think of, okay, well, I've, I'm, I've done right or wrong. You know, we, we work through things like that. But the only thing that's just in our life, in other words, to be just, to be right standing before God, to be justified in the, in, the, in the presence and in the sight of a true and living God that really has the, the authority to either um, condemn or save a life. I mean, God, he's, he, he, he has that authority. And a lot of times, you know, and God's not a, he, I, I wanna be clear here, God's not a condemning God to where, you know, he's out to get people. That's not his character. Um, and, we, and we know that because John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so we can take that one scripture and know that that's God's desire for us to come to be saved and to know him. God's word says that he's love, that he's truth, but he's also a just God and he's righteous and he's honest and truthful about our sin and he knows what we need to hear when it comes to us coming to terms with ourselves and, and when we come in contact with the true and living God, who we are needs to decrease so that God may increase in our life. And it's interesting here that, that Paul makes this statement about the just and unjust. You know, it, there's, there's a common playing field that all human beings are in the same boat that when we pass away, our body one day will be resurrected but we will either spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God. But all of us will spend eternity somewhere. And that's a fact. God has given all human beings a soul. Our soul is something that will live forever. Um, our body dies away. You know, I've had, parent, I've had grandparents pass away. I'm sure some of you have experienced that as well. And you have a service and, and it's sad and you miss them and all of these things. And then, um, but for those who are believers, there's hope in that because this body one day will pass away, but I will live forever because of my relationship with Jesus. And that same free gift is available. And, and, and we'll see here, what's fascinating to me in this is that Paul actually gives, God gives opportunity for Paul to speak this to Felix later on, we'll see here. But like I'd mentioned, all of us will spend eternity in one place or another, either with God for eternity in heaven or separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. And you think, oh, that's really serious, Brian. You know, why are you using that word? And when I was writing this, I was like, oh, do I really want to say that? But that's the truth. And, 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 and what hell is, is being separated from God for eternity. The, God's word says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it's a place of, of, of endless pain. And heaven is a place of endless 
non-pain. It's, it's a place of joy and love and peace. It's a place of amazement that we can't, I can't even explain what it is here. It, my, human words have tried to explain what heaven is like throughout all of mankind and we've barely scratched the surface because it's gonna be so magnificent. It'll be unlike anything any of us have ever experienced in our lives. And we'll be able to spend eternity with God who loves us and cares for us. Verse 16, we continue on, it says this, Paul is saying, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. And this verse really stood out to me. It's interesting how Paul always made it a point in his life to make sure that his life not only lined up with Christ, lined up with God's word, lined up with who this character of God was, that his life was right before God, he strived for that. And yes, I say that word strive because God places a responsibility on us to act. We can't just read the Bible and go, okay, yeah, whatever. God calls us to a place where we actually have to take a step into obedience to what God calls us to be and who he wants us to be. Yes, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but we still need to make that step. And so we see here that Paul, his life always lined up with Christ and, and also his life was not offensive to those around him. And that was convicting for me. I was like, wow, okay, so he not only strived uh, to have a, a clear conscience without offense towards God. How many of us in our life, we can say, oh, I'm serving God, but yet we have this, this, this trail of wreckage in our relationships with people sometimes, you know? And that could be on a daily basis. We can struggle through things and, and not be able to communicate well. I use my, my marriage as an example. Like, I mean, Gina and I, we, we're, we're both Italian and we're both leaders and it's a bad mix sometimes because we both see what we want to have happen and we both argue about it. And then we have to be willing to give to each other. We have to be willing to forgive when we don't want to. We have to be willing to love when we don't want to. We have to be willing to let God in the middle of when we're frustrated with each other. If we're not willing to do that, then we're not really living out what we say we are. And it's very difficult to be that way. It, it literally goes against everything that we are as human beings because as human beings, we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be right. We want to be operating in our own strength. I mean, that's the way we are. We're made that way. That's why men can build skyscrapers and boats and, and cars because we have this ingenuity to make things. But when it comes to our relationship with God, God wants to make us and he wants what we can do to die. He wants us to die. He wants us to let go of, of all of these things and let him be the Lord of our life. Let him be the power of our life. Let him be the power in our weaknesses. And that doesn't make any sense to me as a human being. And so sometimes I feel like I'm always in that place. Of, it's the same thing over and over again. All right, Lord. All right, Lord. All right, Lord. And my children are probably like, yeah, all right, Lord, you know? And it's, it, it can be difficult. But I see this here where Paul's like, he strived to make sure that, that to have a conscience a, a, without offense towards God and without an offense towards men. And so don't ever separate your relationship with God from your relationship with human beings. Because if you think about it, God's whole 
passion in life is human beings and how we interact with each other. He, he loves us and he knows how important we are with each other. God loves us. He loves our families. He loves our relationships. And yes, they are difficult, but he has a plan. And you know how the saying goes? Um, no, I'm not going to say that. <clears throat> That'd be off track. Sorry. So my question is to you guys is how is your life today? Are you striving to be right with God and right with those around you in your home and in your workplace and in public? It's a real heavy question. Like I mentioned, this can be very difficult at times. And even nowadays with the way things are in government and the way things are in our society and things are intense, they're different. We're in a different society than we were a year ago, two years ago. It's different. We're bombarded by so many things that can be fearful and frustrating and create anxiety and, and, and distrust and all these things, all these emotions that, that we can be carrying through our day just because of what's going on in the world around us. And out of that can come all sorts of different things out of our personalities and our emotions and different things. And man, sometimes we just need to just stop and say, God, will you please help? What's our focus? Paul's focus was to make sure that his life was right with Christ and that his life was right with other people. And that doesn't mean agreeing with people. Don't get me wrong. This whole thing of, oh, you know, everyone gets a trophy and we got to agree with this person and we got to agree with that mindset and we have to agree with this theology. Don't ruffle anybody's feathers. Well, that's garbage. That's not what this is. We do need to love people, but we don't necessarily have to agree with people. It's important. We need to live with grace and forgiveness. If Christ is in us, the fruit of the Spirit needs to be evident in our lives. And what does that look like? It looks like this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 26 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. I want you guys to think about this. Don't let this just go in and out. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Oh, man, that word, long-suffering. <laughs> Kindness goodness, faithfulness. By this time, maybe some of us are thinking, yeah, but they weren't that. Myself included. 23, verse 23 says this, gentleness. Here's this word, self-control, which this is, we're going to talk about that word self-control. Paul preaches this to Felix later on. And, and it's interesting how the word says this, and against such there is no law. In other words, there's absolute freedom in these things. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there's a process that God wants us to take our flesh, our human flesh, the desires of our flesh, all the things that are opposite from verse 22 and 23. And he wants that to die the same way Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and that the work is finished and we need to leave it there with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live in the spirit, check this out, you guys. Let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we have the Holy Spirit in us, there needs to be an action in us. We need to choose to walk in the Spirit. God's a gentleman. He's, we're not robots. He wants us to willingly live for Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17 says this. And again, this is pertaining to 
what our lives should look like as we walk in the Spirit. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, that's how God sees you. He sees you as holy and he sees you as deeply loved. That's who he sees. When he sees us, he sees us as holy and loved. It makes no sense to me because I see myself as fat and sinful. That's how I see myself. I don't see myself the way God sees me. And we have to let how God sees us filter what we think about ourselves. It's important. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, I'm sorry. But therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, ten- listen, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness. There's that word, long-suffering, bearing with one another. In other words, holding on to each other even when things are difficult. Bearing with one another. In other words, put up with each other. A lot of us don't like that. I don't like that. But God calls me to be that way. bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. What? You mean I have to forgive people even when I'm, there's complaints against them? Even if, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. I mean, I get through verse 13 here and I'm like, I, I can't do any of this. And so this is the attitude that Paul's referencing. If you look at being also myself, I always strive to have conscience conscience with, without offense towards God and men, Galatians 5, verse 22 through 26, and Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is what it means to have a clean conscience towards other people. Verse 14 says this, but above all things put on, there's that word, love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Man, this is so important. We need to have the peace of God be what dictates what happens within, the, within us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, I'm sorry, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, toward the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now I'm going to be a little transparent. I saw this yesterday when I was studying and I texted to my wife and then, you know, I, I, I failed at living this out. And it's just, and, and, and part of me is like, you know, well, what's the point of even having the Bible if you can't live it out? That's what we want to do. We want to, we want to create accusations when we fail in these areas. But God wants us to see our failure and go, okay, Lord, I need your strength to be made perfect in my weakness. Because when we look at the word of God, it's not, oh, I can live up to this because we can't live up to this unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit guiding our lives. It's impossible. It's impossible to be a Christian without the power of God. It's not a get get rich quick scheme. It's not self-help guru stuff. That's not what the Bible is. God's word is alive. In, 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 in Hebrews, it says it's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and that's able to, to, to discern our thoughts and intents, even to, to between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. In other words, it goes, pierces us deeper than anything ever possibly can. It's supernatural. And so when we want to see a difference in our lives, we need to rely upon the supernatural work of God's word in our life. 
And that's really difficult. It's very difficult. But God promises to carry us through. He's just, will, he's just waiting for us to be willing to say, okay, God, I'm done, and I want you to, to take care of this area. It doesn't always make sense. I mean, think about it. Paul here, his own people group, threw him, tried to kill him, right? And then the Romans, you know, hit him, which they weren't supposed to do in the other chapters. And now he's here and he's in chains, all for just following God. But yet he was led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to continue to love people even when they were unlovable. Paul was the writer of Galatians and Colossians. I believe this came out of his experience in his life and the Lord moving through him and, and the Lord wanting us to know what it's like to actually love the way God loves. It doesn't make sense to us as human beings. But God knows how to make it happen. I've watched the Lord restore relationships. I've watched the Lord set people free from drug addiction and alcohol addiction and pornography addictions. I've watched God do miracles in people's lives. All of that's contrary to the human nature. Without the Lord, we have no barometer. We just want to do whatever satisfies our life. And that's how we are as human beings. You look at history. We see all that in history. You don't have to look at the Bible for that. Verse 17, now back in Acts chapter 24, now for after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. So this was, Paul's continuous says is the, the reason, one of the reasons why he came back to Jerusalem because he brought money uh, for, collected from the other churches that were out in the regions that he was preaching to and the churches he planted to. Um, this was his last ministry journey. He was on his third one and he came back and he had money for Jerusalem, for the church in Jerusalem, the Christians. 1819, we see this, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a tumult. They they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. So the, the Jews from Asia were the ones who incited the riot against Paul when he was in Jerusalem. And Paul's saying, look, I was in the temple worshiping God. I, I had got, he had, Paul had finished uh, a, a, a purification um, process. And so there was nothing profane with him and, and he wasn't doing anything wrong. So, so this fourth accusation of Paul having been, having profaned the temple of God, Paul states that he was alone in the temple and that he had been purified from ceremonial defilements. So these accusers that, that were the Jews from Asia who caused this riot against him in Jerusalem, they should have been there, but they weren't even there at this trial in front of Felix in Caesarea. It's interesting. His, uh, those accusers weren't there, but, the, but the, the high priest was there with these other Jews that wanted to get rid of Paul. Verse 20 says this, or else, uh, Paul continues, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, in other words, why I'm here, unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out. And so he goes and he says this, standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. In other words, he's saying the only thing I could have said that actually created a problem was that I made a statement about concerning the resurrection of the dead. In other words, everything else they're saying is wrong. And he, he turns this question to his accusers and they can't state anything. They can't back up what they said. In other words, uh, the things that they were, the, the things in, that they accused him of that were criminal were not true. And those things that were true were not criminal. So Paul stood there innocent. 
And this is interesting. Verse, the, the, re, the rest of this chapter is fascinating. So here's what happens. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, being following after Jesus with your life, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So um, Felix knew of the way, following the way of Jesus Christ. So he knew about Christianity. He had known about this most likely because of his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, and she probably kept him up to date with what was going on with her people. Also, being a Roman official, he most likely investigated these things in private prior to this trial with Paul. Um, Lysias is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible ever coming to Felix, so when, when Felix said that, it was probably just to buy time, you know, hey, we'll see, we'll hear this more later on when, 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 when the commander comes. Um, also, um, last week I mentioned to you that Felix was not a Christian. He was a heathen. He had no self-control. Um, later on, I'll give a description of his marriage with Jerusalem Dru Dru and him. There was nothing good about this guy, okay? But it's fascinating, though, that you have a non-Christian um, uh, heathen um, making a statement that he's, you know, find out that he, that, that he was knowledgeable of the way. And so God can use any person to intervene in your life. And we have to note here that God took Paul from Jerusalem really to place him in Felix's life. And we'll see why here in a moment. Verse 23, so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty. Interesting. So he's a prisoner, but he has liberty. That's kind of fascinating, isn't it? And told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for, for or visit him. So Paul had freedoms. His friends could come and go. They could take care of him. They could minister to him. You know, this meant that Paul wasn't in the common jail um, and so it's quite fascinating. He, he again, is, is in, in, the, in the praetorium. He wasn't locked up, um, but he was chained to a guard, and it's possible that the guards changed, changed out every six hours. And so, excuse me, Paul had a captive audience for sure to be able to share the gospel with these um, centurions that he was chained to. And his friends, like I mentioned, were able to come in and attend and minister to him. And then we, we close out with verse 24 through 27, and this unfolds here. And so two parts of this message, you know, obviously we, I focused on the relationship that we have with God and also how our relationship is with other people. And then we see here the seriousness of what Paul, um, how he spoke to Felix and Drusilla. Verse 24, and after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. I want you to hang your, your, your mind on there a second. The reason for them going to Paul was so that they could dialogue with him and hear about faith in Jesus Christ. That's the reason. And, and, and at the time, as a Roman governor, he could do anything you wanted. He could have Paul's head cut off. He could have had his leg cut off for fun. He could have thrown him to lions. I mean, they, they, could do, they, had, they did whatever they wanted. But for whatever reason, you know, he kept Paul here. 
And so maybe for his own desires, because it said that he was knowledgeable in the way, maybe he wanted to know more. Obviously, he wanted to know more about this faith in Christ, this the way. Verse 25, so now as he reasoned about righteousness, now listen, this was Paul speaking to Felix and Drusilla. It's this private dialogue that they had, okay? Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Think about that. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. We don't talk about the judgment to come too much. It's not something we like to have a, a, a long conversation about. We like warm and fuzzy things. Verse 25 continues, says, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that Money would be given uh, to him by Paul or his friends that, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, um, Proceus Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. So we see a couple of things unfold here. I'm going to kind of do this in reverse order. Usually I, I expound on the verses in order, but I'm going to do it in reverse here because I want to focus on... Um, verse 24 and 25. So in verse 26 and 27, we see that Felix hoped that Paul's friends or himself, you know, would have had money come in to pay for his release. That never happened. Um, and then we see that two years later, another leader took Felix's place. Um, and Felix, wanting to keep the popularity of the Jews, kept Paul bound. So it's fascinating. He kept Paul bound. He wanted to keep popularity amongst the people so that's most likely why it was kept bound. Um, Paul stays in chains for the rest of Acts, actually. Um, so anyways, I, I want us to take a moment to look, and we got you know, a couple minutes here. I want us to take a moment to look at what happened between Paul and Felix and Jerusalem. Um, Paul was fearless to the point. Paul reasoned with this immoral governor and his adulterous wife. She had left her husband to marry Felix, okay? So... Uh, and, 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 he, and he reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. They did not live with any sort of righteousness. Jerusalem and, and, and Felix had no, that wasn't part of their life, um, either in their public or personal life. Self-control, they, they didn't have that. They did whatever they wanted. Um, like I mentioned, their, their, their present marriage was an example of having no self-control. They needed to, and, and this, was, this was Felix's fourth wife, I believe. Um, and so uh, they, they needed to be warned concerning the judgment to come because unless their sins were pardoned through the blood of Christ, they would perish in the lake of fire. Paul held nothing back. You know, a lot of times, you know, we shy away from that. It's just a, a serious thing to talk about people about the judgment to come. But it's been said like, um, and, and, and there's an atheist, and I've made mention of him before, and, and Royal probably tell me his name. There's an atheist comedian, what's his name? Who said that um, if, if you really believe so heavily about the, the, the life and death and how Jesus can save somebody, it would be as if you saw someone standing in front of a truck and not jumping and pushing them out of the way. And there's an atheist comedian, Roy's back there going, why'd you pick on me? But there's an atheist comedian who literally does, he, he professes that he does not believe in God whatsoever, okay? 
but he can assess that if Christianity is true and you believe so severely about it that it's literally God being able to save somebody in such a way that they'd be able to live with God for eternity, then why would you ever not warn people about the judgment to come is basically what he's saying. And Paul knew he was super passionate and he wanted Felix and Jerusalem to know he had a captive audience and they wanted to hear about Jesus. They wanted to hear about this faith and Paul shared with them the truth of what was happening and, and what happened with Felix. He got, he got scared. And Romans, if you were a man back then and you were a Roman guard or had any place, you didn't get scared. They were stoic. You know, they were not fearful men. It was really, really, really not a, you just, it wasn't their culture. And so for the, for the word of God to say that Felix became scared, it's almost that like he was trembling And whenever God shows up in our life, I mean, literally, no question, like you know that God is knocking on the door of your heart. You know that the Lord has stepped into your life. There's no question about it. It it rocks us to our core. And when Paul presented this to Felix and Drusilla, it wasn't a condemning thing. It was a factual thing of, hey, this is where your life is. This is what God requires. And this is what'll happen if you don't follow what Christ is asking you to do. And so, Felix had conviction about what was happening in his life. But what did Felix do? He did what some of us do when somebody shares the truth of Jesus about sin and and salvation and death and hell and and, and all of these different things. Some of us, we write it off, we discount it, and we we go on our day and we say, that was nice for you, thanks for sharing, go on, you, you can keep that. That's basically what Felix said. Felix did away with Paul. He said, go away. I'll come talk to you later on. He procrastinated. Don't procrastinate when Christ comes knocking on the door of your soul. Yeah. Thank you, Roy. John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, Jesus said this, you search the scriptures For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So Jesus is saying, hey, you search scriptures, you think they have eternal life, they testify of me. The scriptures testify that eternal life is in Jesus. So he's saying, hey, look, what the word says is me, I'm the one who presents eternal life. But then verse 40, Jesus says this, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And that's what Felix did. God brings us to a point and he says, this is who... This is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I did on the cross. I want to give you eternal life so that you might live with me forever in heaven and have peace. And he brings us to that point and he he bids you to come. He bids you to make a decision. And, and, And Felix walked away from it. There may be those of us like Felix that hear about Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, yet we walk away thinking there's another time for this decision to be made. Do not be like the person Jesus is referring to here that reads the scripture, that testifies of Jesus, but then not be willing to come to him. We all need to be willing to come to him. I'll I'll close here in a second. I know I'm going a little over. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 through 2 says this, We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't 
Just toss it away like brushing salt off your table after your meal. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable, acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you have not made a decision for Jesus today, this is your day of salvation. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Today is your day of salvation. Jesus Christ is asking you to come to him and to give him your burdens, to lay it all down, to leave it all at the cross and to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe some of us need to rededicate our life to the Lord. Maybe some of us need to make a, 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 an initial decision for the Lord, but today's the day of salvation. And this is what Paul presented to Felix, this governor. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 11 says this. And you, maybe you ask, Brian, how do I come to know Jesus? It says this, but if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What a promise. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. That's a promise. God holds that. We don't. It's interesting how it says to confess with your mouth. In other words, there's something God's asking us to do physically. He wants us to take a step towards him, whether it's getting right with him and sin issues in our life, like, you know, Gina and I have to, it seems like, continually because we just are working through things in our life. Our lives are really intense lately. 15 years of marriage, man. Four kids, businesses, church planting, ministry, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's constant. We always have to be loving and forgiving. Maybe, you know, it's, it's confessing sins that you haven't confessed to the Lord before. Um, Maybe you've never made a decision to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. Then if that's the, the truth, then, then I'm going to take a step and say that God's asking you to make Jesus Lord of your life today. He wants that. And it's the best decision you'll ever make in your whole entire life, ever. It's better than sliced bread. Some of you are too young to know what that means. It's better than money from the government. It's better than any car. It's better than any house. It's better than any food. It's life itself. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you, ever. And I'm not saying that things in life won't be difficult, because they are, but He'll carry you through that. If that's you today, take time today and invite Jesus into your heart through prayer. It's easy. You confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I want to be in heaven with you one day. Will you please come into my life? And then you make a willing decision to turn from the way that you've been living before, and you make that choice to turn towards God, and He helps you with the rest. But that decision needs to be made. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the patience of these folks here. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you that even in the midst of serious conversation, Lord, that your love wraps around all of that, God. Lord, it's just like a child, you know, if they're going to touch a fireplace, you know, with their hand, you're not going to be like, oh, you know, it's okay. You, you get them out of there. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be serious about our walk with you, to be serious about our relationships with other people and, and to let you be the Lord of our lives and in the areas of our lives, God, that need to be, whether it's salvation, un, unto salvation, or whether it's help in relationships or, or, or just walking things out that you're growing us in, God. And I praise you and thank you for Paul and his 
his boldness, Lord, to Felix and Felix's willingness, Lord, to have a conversation, even though he didn't make a choice for you. We get to see the example of what that looks like, Lord. We just praise you and give you all the glory. Lord, I pray for each and every person here online or in, in, in person here, God, or whatever they, they need. I pray, Jesus, that you would be their God, that you would be what they need, Lord. I don't need to know people's needs. You know their needs, and I just ask that you would just meet them in, in such a way that they would recognize that you love them, God, and that you're caring for them and you're taking care of them. Lord, thank you for loving me and helping me through difficulties, Lord. I know that if you can help me, you can help anybody. I just praise you and give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.